0: I want to open up this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 5 and I want to talk about the desert experiences and how good they can be. You say, a desert experience being good? They're good. They're good for us. You get to learn about how good God is. You get to learn about His goodness to us. You get to learn about His faithfulness to us. You see, it's in the desert that God gives strategy. It's in the desert that God brings intimacy, because there's nothing that grows in a desert. And so from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, Peter says these words, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Anton, I'm listening. I'm listening to what the Word says. And then it goes on. All and all of you, dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time. Everyone say, right time. time. He will lift you up in honour. Who lifts us up? God does. And it's at the right time. God's got timing to perfection. He knows what he's doing. Then he just finishes us off and he says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. There's a lot in this verse. It's talking about timing. It's talking about how when there is timing, when you don't understand, he's just saying, hand it over to me, for I care for you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to thank you for your mercy. We want to thank you for your grace. And Lord, this morning, I pray that the wisdom, that your spirit of the wisdom of revelation, God, will open up our minds this morning. Lord, it will just open up our ears to hear what you want to say. And Lord, that God, you will speak clearly and that God, the words that I speak, God, will be from you not of myself. And Lord, I pray that God that you'll open my own ears to hear what you want to speak to me, as well as everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Talking about a desert. What is a desert? I mean, in Australia, we, most of our country is defined as a desert. But the definition of it is, it's a place that is barren. No life lives there. It's a landscape Where there is little or no uh, vegetation, yeah, pretty much a vegetarians there, and receives very little water, and consequently living conditions are very hostile for plant, animal and human life. It's a place where there is no possibility to live, it's a place where we journey through and we want to get out of it as fast as we possibly can. And it's not a place that you live there permanently unless there is external food, unless there's external drink provided. What do you see when you drive through a a desert? You see carcasses on the ground, dead bones, things that have died. Things that have, have the life expectancy of Someone going in the desert ends very quickly, and so consequently you do. You see skeletons, you see the remains of people going in their animals, you see all kinds of things, of failings, of things that have died in the middle of the desert. And it's interesting how God uses it to take us on a journey of allowing us to die. And I love how he uses the nation of Israel to take them through a desert. I love how he describes, and I'm going to look at Exodus, I'm going to look at the journey out of Egypt going into the promised land. I'm going to look at this because I, it may be over 3,000 years ago, but it's so relevant today. And when I read it, and I'm thinking, boy, there is so much to be had out of this journey, different culture, different people, but the same message. It's amazing how the Word of God over thousands of years doesn't change because people don't change, because we don't change, because we still have to go through the same processes that God uses. And it's called the desert experience. And in Exodus three sixteen to 18, God has a call. God calls Moses and he tells him to go on. Get the Israelites. And this is what he says. Now go, Exodus 3, 16 to 18, and he says, Now go and call all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely. I want you to think about that. God has been watching closely. What's he been watching and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites now live, and every other ites that are in the land. He gives a promise. This is where I'm going to take you goes on, he says in verse 18, The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, so please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness and offer sacrifices to our God. He says how long it's going to take to get into the wilderness, but boy golly, he doesn't say how long you're going to be there. Have you had that experience? God says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And this is going to be an incredible place. And then he says, I just need to take you into a detour because I want you to worship me. See, they were in there suffering and they cried out to God. The whole nation of Israel is being burdened by the Egyptians. And they cry out to God, save us. And he hears them. And he sends somebody to take them out of their suffering and promises, I'm going to take you into this incredible place. God comes and he performs a number of miracles in the land of Egypt to persuade the Egyptians to release them. And finally they do. And the journey starts and they're released. And as a nation of over a million people with with cattle, with sheep, with goats, start to head out of the land of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. God performs a miraculous miracle and opens up water. Allows them to cross over the other side. And then he takes them and starts to allow them to walk into the desert to worship him. And they run out of water. What are they, what's the first thing they do? They whinge and complain. <laughs> Sound familiar? I, this is just relevant to me. The first thing that, when God takes, takes me along a journey and you run out of supplies, what do you do? You whinge to God. And you think, God, why have you got me on this journey? But he's taking, in, taking the Israelites into a place of worship. It's his whole thing. was take him into the wilderness so that he can, they can learn to worship him. You see water is the first issue then food comes along they're running out of food they have no food so once again they complain and they whinge and they God, we got no food so he supplies manna and in that supplying of of, of the food for each day he says i'm going to provide for you every day so god is showing that he is a provider God is showing that when I, when I take you into a desert, when I say, come with me into the wilderness to worship me, I will supply everything that you need. Everything. He is saying the daily food. Because in the instructions that, that Moses has given to the people, they're not allowed to have food for more than one day, except on the sixth day where they have food for enough for two days. So God is saying, I'm just going to give you enough food... For this day, I'm going to give you enough water for this day. Not only is it going to feed you, it's going to feed all your, your flocks. It's all going to feed all of your herds. I am showing you that I am in control and I am providing. God is doing an amazing work and he is showing them, come with me on the journey. And we see time and time again the complete unutter, utter complaining from the Israelites. Why have you brought us out here? They're saying to Moses, why have you taken us out of Egypt to die? And this is constant. I can hear their voices and I can hear my own voice going, God, why have you taken me into a place to die? A place to, where, where God, where you've taken away every bit of reliance and I have to feed from you every day and I have to get my word from you and I have to get the Holy Spirit has to refresh me. Otherwise, it doesn't take long to shrivel up. So I relate to this because it's three and a half thousand years ago, but it's still relevant today. You see, God was taking the dependency of the nation of Israel off themselves. You see, in Egypt, they were still God's people. They were still God's chosen people. But he was taking them out and he was saying, I need you to rely on me. I need you to, to understand that I am your source of provision. You cannot go into a place and you cannot make it on your own. And this is God's purpose of bringing us into a desert and also bringing in the nation of Israel into the desert to worship him. He covers a number of things, attitudes, motives in this time of the desert. So he covers complaining. He's dealing with areas in the Israelites' life, He covers dependency on themselves. He covers disunity in the camp. Story of Korah and his sons. Korah and and the people that that make trouble for Moses. He is taking them through the desert to unearth the motives of what's in the hearts of the nation of Israel. Because he's just taken them because he wants them to worship him. Because worship... In God allows you to move into the promised land. He deals with sexual immorality, sexual sin. 23,000 people die in one day, disobeying God's commandment. And during this time, God gives Moses the law and he also gives Moses how to build the tabernacle, the exact replica of what was required to worship you see in a in a in a time where there is a desert time God brings us back to foundations he teaches us this is how I want you to live this is how I want you to worship this is how I want you to depend on me because he knows when I'm going into the promised land I don't want to, he doesn't want me to take my own stuff into that place. And he doesn't want me to to compromise my values, compromise who I am when he comes and brings me into a land that we're going to conquer. And that's God's purpose. You see, the desert speaks about death. It is, it's death of myself, it's death of my motives, it's death to what I desire. You see, when you're in a place where God strips away everything, whether it be position, whether it be life, whether it be income, he forces you to your knees and he says, now are you going to rely on me? Are you going to see me as your total source of income, your total source of provision? And are you going to be happy and are you going to be content with just worshipping me? It's an interesting thing. There were 603,000 warriors that came out of Egypt. 40 years they were in the land of Egypt, Egypt. 601,000 people went into the promised of warriors, went into the promised land. During this 40 years there was no growth. You would think a nation of over a million people you would actually see growth. Because you can see God's providing everything. But through this time, there is no growth. It's it's a mind-blowing fact for me. I look at there and go, why? Because a whole generation dies. didn't multiply. It didn't grow. But God was proving something in that place. He was showing you, showing us, that in the place of the desert, we die. And in the place of the desert... He will provide, but there's not necessarily what we would perceive as fruit. On the outside, there appears to be no fruit. But in that camp, let me tell you, this next generation that is being born is the fruit. See, numerically, they didn't increase, but there was another generation that was being born in the desert that didn't want to look back at Egypt. Do you see? They didn't want to look back at the past. I've left the past. I don't want to know the past. God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past, for I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? When God takes us into the desert, it's for some things to die. And we don't like death. But God is raising up. And in this transition from Egypt into the promised land, God is raising up a new generation. A new generation that hasn't known about about the goodness in Egypt. They've only known about how to worship God in the desert. They've only known God's provision. They have only known God providing in the morning, the next morning, the next morning, the next morning, the next morning. They've only known that. And it's an amazing thing that there is a shift in mentality so that God can take you into your promised land it takes the Israelites into the promised land see in that time Moses was instructed to set up the tabernacle it was the place of God's presence and it was to be in the center of all of the Israelites covered right round on four sides with the nation of Israel focused on one thing Obeying and worshipping God. Only the one thing. Because what it is doing, it is setting in place the rest of humanity for us to look at the pattern that God creates. And it is pointing for one place and it is pointing to Jesus on the cross. It's all set up and it's all this time that's spent in the desert is pointing to Jesus. It has to be right. The pattern had to be right. The structure had to be right. It couldn't be a little bit to the left, otherwise Jesus couldn't come. It had to be perfect. And this is what the Bible says about Moses in Exodus 25, 40, and Jesus or God is speaking to him and says And see that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. See that you set up the place of worship. See that everything that you do is according to the pattern. Is according to the pattern that God gives us. Not what we think. Not what what down the road is doing. But according to the, the pattern that God was speaking to Moses, the leader. It's interesting. The pattern it had to be right the old had to die and the new had to be set up because that new was setting up humanity and it's what we look at now to get a picture of Christ it's all pointing to Jesus see God was teaching his nation the worship to him as a lifestyle is far more important than conquering a land say that again God was teaching the nation of Israel that my lifestyle in worship is far more important than conquering a nation because in reality who takes the land God does I'm listening what do you want me to do I'm listening what do you want me to do I'm listening what do you want me to do He builds the new so that the old can die. It's structure, it's foundations, it's where we head to. I want to give you an illustration about the desert. A little bit different than the Israelites. Dan, if you could come up. This is about worshiping Jesus, Dan. If you could just stand right there, isn't he a great guy? He's going to be Jesus for me today. <laughs> 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 he <drew it> <laughs> ah, Luke, if I can get you to come up as well, I want you to just stay. I just want you to stand on that side, just there. Your failure, you represent. Now, please hear me, this is not Lucas failure, but this is a demonstration, something that's relevant to my life. And I want you to take you through this example of what happens in the desert. Damien, I want you to come up and I want you to stand on Luke's side. (laughs) Damien, your resentment. Resentment. Tim, can you help me as well? Come up and stand on this side. Now Tim, I've named you with unbelief. See at the point of I'm going out of of Egypt and God's setting me free, I can see Jesus see God Luke come in come in I fail come in I can't see Jesus anymore So I want you to show you what happens in the desert because on the transition in the promised land failure happens I can't see Jesus I can see him I can get around him but I'm here and I can't quite see him Damo Want to come over? Resentment comes in. Come on. So from failure, I have resentment, and it clouds the face of Jesus. I could just see His face there. Just see it. He's there somewhere. After resentment, unbelief sets in. You want to come over here, Tim, and just stand. I can't see Jesus. Now, let me make one thing clear: Jesus can see me. I can't see him. I'm still his child, even though I can't see him. I'm still chosen. I'm still a child of God. I can't see Him. Life has started to happen. Disappointment has come in because of failure. Unbelief has set in my heart, and my intimacy with God has gone. Because God said, I want you to come out into the wilderness to worship me. I want you to come out into the wilderness, but within, with unbelief, I can't see Jesus' face. With resentment, I can't see Jesus' face. With failure, I can't see him. And it's in the middle of the desert that you find yourself dying. And there is only one answer that I need Jesus I need that intimacy, and I need that connection with him to hear from him. And in Hebrews 4:16 he says, "Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy. Mercy for my failures. You see, Jesus didn 't put these things in place. I did. It was the wounding through the journey of going out of Egypt. And it was things that I had. That was still on me that, that allowed me to, to take Jesus' view away. It says, Come boldly to the throne room of grace that you may obtain mercy. Oh God, you're, you're a merciful God. Forgive me for my unbelief. And when I come boldly to that throne of grace, then God says, I forgive you. And He takes unbelief away. The blood of Jesus takes it away If you can sit down now it's gone i'm coming boldly to the throne of grace because in my station here i'm proud and i'm arrogant i can do it in my own thinking this is but in humility i'm saying jesus i need your help and so once again i come into the presence of god and this is a journey it's not just an instant fix Because it's our mind, it's being in our relationship with God. And once again, resentment. Okay, God, I can't do this anymore. And he says, hand the resentment over to the throne of grace. Once again, God, I still can't do this. Just hand it over to me. And so there's a tussle with us and it's in the desert that we're dying, that my will's dying. And God says, no, no, hand it over. Resentment. Come away. I'm going to wash you with my blood. I'm going to give you mercy. Resentment disappears. And then finally, the failure, God can address the failure. And he starts calling, you're my son. What am I going to do with failure? I'm going to come back to the same place as failure, as resentment, as unbelief. I'm going to come to the throne of grace to receive mercy. Because right now I'm stopping. God God can see he's got his arms out to me saying, come on, son, Come, come home. You're the only one that's blocking me. This is humility. This is surrendering to God. Once again, fire comes away. I come to the throne of grace and away it goes. I'm in the desert. What is God fixing my eyes on? Jesus. What am I to do when everything starts to move? Jesus. I'm worshipping. It's not about who I am, it's not about what I've done. It's not about how I've been hurt. It's about fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This is why a desert experience is so important for us. And this is why God uses it. Because he's saying, I want you to worship me in spirit and truth. And worship is just not a song. It's a lifestyle. My worship is my surrender to his will and what his purpose are purposes and I look to Jesus and I say Jesus I can now worship you I have no agenda I have nothing left in my life to offer except just to worship you I can worship you this is intimacy now now Jesus can say I can hear I can see you now I can talk to you now I can give you strategy about the future because there's nothing there because there's no motives there's no agenda anymore it's all gone it's all gone all I all you can see is my face And so God brings us into that place until everything of us dies, until the things that we've picked up along life's way, whether it be the way that we've grown up or the way that we've had things done to us, God starts to wash them away. Thanks, Dan. That's how God works in the desert, because he's taken you out to worship, because he knows if I can get you to worship and I can get you to keep your eyes fixed on me, that when you go into the promised land, that you won't get the glory anymore. It won't be about you. He's washed those, all those things away. He says, I'm creating something new. I just want this intimacy with Jesus. I just want to be intimate with you. I just want to talk to you. I just want to feed you each day. I just want to give you my word. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not a one-hit wonder. It's a lifestyle. It's a constant thing because God wants the intimacy to grow. He wants my next generation, as in who I'm becoming, to be seeking after him. He wants me to walk into the next new thing to say, I just want you and me to walk into it and I want you to hear my voice. And that's what God is desiring and that's where Peter in that first Peter chapter 5, when we looked at it, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in that period of timing, that timing in that period where we're working through the things in our lives, maybe years, maybe months, but it's working away in a place where God has got us in isolation so that he can maintain that intimacy. Because that's the Father's heart. He's not there punishing me. He's not there with a big stick. He's just reaching out his hands and saying, come on home, come on home. The band could come back up, that'd be great. You know, I love what Job says in Job 13, 15. Says these words, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he, slay, though he take me into the desert, though I have put things in front of him, I will still trust him. Though I'm in a season where nothing seems to be growing, where nothing seems to be bearing fruit, God says, I will, Job says, I will still trust him. And it's in that place of trust, in that desert that we find ourselves that sells just surrendering and learning to worship God with our lifestyle. And it's in that place that God reaches out and he puts his arms out and he says, Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Don't worry about what's ahead for you. I just want you to worship me. Because it takes all the pressure off. Because he said, if you hear my voice, I'll let you know. Just work with me. That intimate connection. The timing is perfect. Just trust me on the timing. Trust me on the fact that I have it all under control. And all you need to do is listen to my gentle, small voice and continuing to grow with me and that's all God asks in the middle of the desert doesn't ask anymore because he's already made the promise to take me into the pro into the new land he says and he's faithful to his word God is not a liar he's not he can't we can be unfaithful we can lie but God doesn't and that's his promise to us is I'll take you into a desert season so that uh, your eyes get fixed on me so that you can worship me, and then we can then step into the promised land. Two people out of the nation of Israel, over a million people, only two people went into that promised land over that 40 years. Two people. They believed, and they trusted, and they kept their eyes fixed on God. Let's be a people that says, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on God. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. And I pray that God, as, we've, as I've spoken this morning, that God, even as I have spoken, Lord, as you've challenged me right through the message, God, I pray that God, you'll continue to put your arms out and you'll continue just to draw those that are distanced, those that are in the desert that, that can't see you anymore, that, that have allowed the, the distractions of life to come in. Lord, I ask that you call them in. I ask that, God, that you bring them to that throne of grace where there is so much mercy, where you want to pour out an abundance of love, God, where you want to feed them, where you want to nourish them, where you want to take away the hurts and the pain from the past. Lord, I pray over us as a church that, God, we will continue to be intimate with you, that we'll continue to get to know you, that our focus will be, my eyes are set on Jesus, nothing else. All I just want to do is worship because when I know I worship, I'm going to hear divine strategy. And I know divine strategy can only come from you. And Lord, replace my complaining with my thanksgiving, God. And replace that and say, God, I'm going to be thankful in every season. Lord, I pray for your blessing. And I pray that you breathe over us as a church and continue to increase our hunger to get to know you. Jesus' name. Amen.